Well, if you do have your Bible, could you turn to Proverbs chapter 15? We're actually going to be in Proverbs for the first part of this quite a bit, looking at several of them. So be prepared to flip pages or swipe your screen or whatever you do. We'll be looking at several of them and then other passages of Scripture. So there's not, we're not going to be focusing on any one passage of Scripture this morning. We're back in this, this series, we're not back in, we're actually in the series of Building a Better Family. And this morning, it's entitled, With Marriage You Need to Communicate. And so it's going to be a kind of a highly practical message this morning. And and so it's going to be focusing on real practical stuff we can do to communicate. And for those of you who aren't married, this is a great message to learn about communication in general and also to prepare yourself perhaps for being married one day, whichever it is, and uh, that you can hopefully take this and use it and apply it because I really believe it's a huge issue that needs to be understood. Before we get going, let's pray and ask that God would, would bless us. Father, we, we desperately need you in more ways than we can even understand. We need your word. We need you to speak to us. And we know that we can't hear. We know that we can't understand unless you, by your spirit, open our eyes and our ears. And I pray this morning that you would truly convict us. You would stir us. And you would teach us and admonish us so that we would be formed into the image of Christ, to the glory of your name and of your grace. Amen. Well, before I get going right into the communication aspect, I just want to start with a caveat that kind of will put this into context. If you are not centering your marriage on the gospel and are not living and walking in the power of the Spirit, then this could end up just being one more trick. One more thing to try to make it work. And if your marriage is not healthy, because your soul is not healthy, then the communication you need to have is with God. If there's anybody you need to communicate it with, it's with, it's with God. And it would probably be good to talk to somebody about the state of your soul, because fundamentally, I would hate for this to become thinking, if you're sitting here and there's trouble and you're not doing so well or your marriage is not doing so well and you think, hey, let's take notes because um, here's some how-tos that's really going to fix, fix things and help things out. It, it is not that at all. And it's really not designed for that in any way. This is not for you to figure out some how-to, one more trick, one more, one more process for you to get where you need to go. If... If that's the case, you really have to, first of all, go back to the messages that we looked at the last couple weeks and really understand that the basis, the foundation, the the cornerstone on which the marriage has to be built is on Christ and on the gospel. You have to understand that. It has to get into your bones. Because you know what? Even the healthiest people will find themselves, if they're not able to have the gospel as a foundation and from there begin to apply practical principles like we're going to look at, you will find that in the day and age we live that it's hard to keep your heart in the right place. Because you might find yourself like this. You find yourself running from work to soccer practice 
to piano recital to the McDonald's drive-thru and then home late. There you brush past your spouse who is running just as fast in the other direction. So you quickly acknowledge one another's presence. Then you realize the family needs to get their happy meal down, go get homework done, get baths finished, and then to bed, and then you fall in bed yourself. And before long, you find that you're drifting apart from the person that you used to really love and care about. You aren't sure how it happened or where it all went wrong, but your love has grown cold, your relationship distant, and you feel like two people on two completely different planets. A husband and wife who are made one in marriage need to cultivate that union, which can only be realized through communication. And I don't mean monologues, but dialogues where there is mutual giving, receiving, and blessing. But in order for us to, for, in order for us to see this happen in, in a relationship, we have to understand what it takes to have this kind of communication. But before we even get there, I want us to see and understand the, the potency, the potency of healthy communication and horrible communication. It's powerful. Like I said, Proverbs chapter 15. Let's turn there. And throughout scriptures... There are different passages which speak about the potency of words, but nowhere like Proverbs. Proverbs is loaded with all kinds of statements concerning the power of words, both for good and ill. And I'm going to start just on the positive side and show you the high potency of communication and and how it's healthy, on the healthy side of things. And as I go through this, chapter 15 is one chapter that's, that's loaded all by itself. You're going to see how much is just right here, and then also in other books of Proverbs, and then, and then also in the New Testament as well. In Proverbs, starting chapter 15, right at verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath. That's just the positive side. Verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. Verse 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge. Verse 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The end of verse 26, gracious words are pure. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Verse 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And the last part of verse 33, he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. That's, that's one chapter loaded with all kinds of, of the positive effects. It also has the negative, but the positive effects of our speech. If you move on to chapter 15 of Proverbs, I'm sorry, uh, on from chapter 15 to verse, chapter 16, verse 23, it says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That's a powerful one, isn't it? Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Amazing. 
is basically what they're saying. It's beautiful. Clearly, our words have tremendous power. Would you not say, just from a few passages in Proverbs, it says a lot about the tongue, what we say. And in, in, in communication, you've got one person saying and the other person listening, the other, and the other person perhaps is saying and you're listening. And those words go back and forth. And those words have tremendous amount of power. But now let's look on the negative side. That's the good side. That's, the be- that's what happens when the words are good. Look on the negative side. Back in chapter 12, verse 18, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You ever been at the end of that? But the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then back in chapter 15, there's the negative side to all the positives I read, because those are parallelisms. And so when you have a parallel, a parallelism like this in Proverbs often, it has the good and the bad. Those are the positive and the negatives paralleling one another. In verse 1, it says on the opposite side, a harsh word stirs up anger. On the negative side in verse 2, the mouth of fools pours forth folly. Verse 4, perverseness in the tongue breaks the spirit. Verse 14, The mouth of fools feeds on folly. Verse 28, the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And then moving on to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Well, that's been me before. Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he listens, it is his folly and shame. So clearly, just from Proverbs, there's a lot to say about the tongue. And all of us, I hopefully you're reading that and listening, going, wow, I have seen this firsthand. In fact, I have been the one who's been the fool at times. And I've, I've, there's been times where, by the grace of God, I've actually said something that was kind of good and blessing. And, and, it, and our words have a dramatic effect on people. So fundamentally, we have to understand that in communication, there is a powerful thing going on. In the tongue is life and death. And we can either bring healing and springs of life, or we can bring destruction and death. But beyond Proverbs in the New Testament, it speaks and exhorts toward healthy communication. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech... Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Ephesians 4, 15, and following in that section, which was read for us this morning, it says that by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So as we speak the truth in love, it says it builds, builds us up. Down in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no destructive talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then finally in James chapter 1, verse 9, which says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Great advice, right? And why these exhortations? 
Why? Because how we communicate with one another can either bring life or death to people. Our words are powerful. And we have to understand that life and goodness and blessing can come to the marriage when people understand how to communicate with one another in a healthy way. But death, destruction can come to a home where two people have no idea. Professor James Murray and psychologist John Gottman videotaped 700 couples as they did their best to work through typical problems. Trained observers then judged what they saw. Couples who were able to talk in a way that maintained respect and solved the problem were placed in one camp. Couples who relied on negative methods were placed in another. As the researchers followed the couples for the next decade, quite an extensive research, the way the couples treated each other during the videotaped conversations predicted who would stay together 94% of the time. Couples who had demonstrated the ability to work through differences by stating their views honestly and respectfully, guess what? Stayed together. Wow. So there's an illustration that took them a decade to figure out, and to basically they said to this word of God, amen. That's what happens. Communication, if it's healthy, is potent and can transform your marriage. So, looking at, so knowing that and understanding that, let's look at some wisdom for healthy communication. And I want us to look at James chapter 1, verse 9, the last passage I referred to, because I think in there, there's some, uh, it has a very interesting statement. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And what isn't said here, but is absolutely assumed, is that the only way we can be quick to listen and slow to speak is if we're the kind of person who likes to ask questions when we communicate. Somebody who is quick to listen, basically enjoys to listen, wants to listen, wants input, is the kind of person who likes to ask questions, who seeks to to get input from others. Because he's not referring to a person who's just a passive fly in the wall who likes to stuff their hands in their pockets and not say anything ever. And you could say, wow, that person's so godly because they're just so quick to listen. No, they just don't ever talk. That's different. He's exhorting us all to be quick to listen, be the kind of person who's eager to listen, wants to know, and get input. Slow to speak, meaning that they're, they, they, they're waiting to listen and to hear and to understand before they do speak. And they're slow to become angry because this person's probably going to get some things and some input that they probably don't like to hear. But... Okay, they know they need it. They understand they're probably a lot worse than the, par- the person is describing. So in, in regard to marriage, one of the greatest things we can do to have healthy communication, and note this, one of the greatest things we could ever do is ask questions. Now, 
A word to you wives. This doesn't mean all of a sudden, oh, goody, 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 questions. I'm all excited. And starts with uh, 50 questions like, okay, how was your day? Um, who did you talk to? Uh, what did you have for lunch? Uh, anything new happened at work? Did you hear about what happened at the company that came into town? And so it's like, you know, uh, no. That's not what I'm referring to. Because you've got to understand that uh, you can make fun of, just as much as I can make fun of a lady in terms of how she loves perhaps to pepper with questions, men are, are baboons and one trackers, and so it's, it's hard for them. They can't process like that. And so I'm not, what I'm going to suggest to you is that when we communicate and we learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak is that we ask questions in a certain way. And husbands, I want to say this to you. Take the lead here in this department and ask questions like this. Big questions that have to do with subject matter that really makes a difference. Questions around subjects like God, finances, kids, work, sex, conflict, etc. The issues that typically cause problems in marriages because they're not really worked out. So husbands, take the lead and ask, and around those areas, take the lead and ask questions like this. How do you think I can lead the family better spiritually? That's a great question. Now, somebody who's quick to listen or eager to listen, wants to hear, and slow to speak and slow to become angry, needs to ask a question like that. How can I lead the family better spiritually? Or here's another one. How are we doing financially, and how can we make improvements? Another one. Do you think there's anything we need to change in the family? Or here's another one. Is there any way I can serve you better? Or how do you think the kids are doing? Are there areas in their lives that we need to work on together and address? And obviously there can be a lot of questions in regard to conflict or regard to personal issues or other issues that you need to ask. And here's the beauty of asking a question. It humbles yourself for the other person. It puts you in the place where you're putting them up and allowing them to speak into your life. Secondly, it really opens them up to want to reciprocate. They'll quickly turn around and say, what do you see in my life? What is it that you... They'll want to ask the questions themselves. So this takes leadership, someone taking responsibility and somebody saying, hey, ask those really good, deep questions. And you know what? When they're the right kind of questions, they're hard to ask because you might not like the answer. And then you have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because you're probably going to get some information. If you really want some candid information, you're going to get it. And you might not hear what you want to hear. But that's the best stuff. That's the good stuff that really starts to change things. And I guarantee you, I will guarantee you, if you learn to ask questions like this in communication, and I'm not, you see, I didn't give you any tips on how to talk, tips on how to listen and get at the issues that really need to be gotten at. And so that you can ask questions and be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I tell you what, if you learn to do that, 
It's not difficult, but it's hard. If you learn to do that, it will truly do wonders for your marriage. But there's one obstacle here. There's something I need, that we need to understand, that, th- that this will not happen in our day and time unless we carve out the time to make it happen. And this is probably one of the most basic, the most practical, the most fundamental things. It's just, it's just a, an, an issue of practicality that has to get addressed before the other will take place. And it's this. The need for scheduled, routine, healthy communication. And this is what I mean by that. If you do not set apart a time to talk with your spouse, and the, then the urgency of life will necessarily take over. Guaranteed. Believe me, if you're running from dinner to clean up, to baths, to homework, to a little Facebook time or TV, and then to bed, you will say this. I have no time to sit and talk. None. I'm maxed. And on the face of it, you're absolutely true. You're right. You don't have any time. And that's a problem. But you can make time. You can schedule time. If you know on your calendar that you, are, you have an appointment with your spouse to sit down and communicate like this, you will plan around it. And it will happen. What most couples do is try to grab time in the midst of an already chaotic life. Typically, you could have the end of the evening, you're vegging out, husband's got a remote control in his hand, sitting, watching program. The wife might say, can we, honey, can we talk? Um, now? Is it, how important is it? I'm watching, the, you know, the, this is my favorite program on TV. Well, it's really important. Um, okay. What is it? One eye, on TV, one eye and both ears on the TV, and, and you nod your head while she talks, and she's, you're not listening to me, are you? Well, kind of. Uh, what's the problem? And so, so the wife says, fine, forget it. I want to talk. We need to communicate. You're not want, you do not want to listen. You do not want to communicate at all. Well, you know, it's not, I do. It's just you know, I've got something else going on right now. And this is a lot of times you will find that people will say, we tried to communicate. It just doesn't work. Or we tried to have time. It just didn't happen. Well, it's just not true. What, and I got this, this is something that um, wives, you can get excited about. Because if you can get on the calendar, scheduled time and place, boom, Say once a week, when you two can get together, and that's both agreed upon that this is the time and place, and you, appro- you have that time and place, and you guys approach it by asking the questions about the deep issues of life, you will be amazed at that you actually have a husband who can communicate. But if you try to do it in the midst of the busyness of life, I guarantee it will be a total disaster. So schedule a time and a place. And I have to say, I, you guys should not le- let today pass without having the conversation. So when will be the time and place? 
each week when we can get together and talk about the important stuff. If you do that and you go there and you approach it by not going there to tell and have a monologue or preach at the other person, but go there and ask questions about how you can change. It'll dramatically change your marriage. I guarantee it. One other thing. Communication also needs to happen around the everyday issues of life. We need to debrief. And I want to say this. Please listen to me in regard to this. The table at your home needs to be a central place. Guard that with your life. Have dinner together. And this can be your place to debrief. Debrief on the day. We need to also communicate about the how you doing. How did your day go? What happened? And we need to tell stories. We need to talk. We need to laugh together, cry together, and really have this be a time and a space where we covet because we know that this is really important time to just debrief about all the small stuff. A great bonding time. Your table should be filled with laughter as we tell stories about what happened during our day. It should be times of, there can be times of frustrations that are brought forward. There can be times when, you know, just the average, the mundane are there. But that needs to be a place, it can be a daily routine where debriefing can happen and you guys can really start to form an amazing tradition. Just as God says, you know what, when I gather my people together, I gather them around a table. And I want my children to come together and I want us to commune together around the table. And this is what's happening in the worship service. It's a dialogue. God speaks to us. We respond to him by speaking to him in songs of praise together. We lift a request to him. So, it's simple. It's really simple. And this is, this is the thing. If we are going to be people who actually learn to use the power of the tongue in a healthy way, and for it to really bring life to our homes, we have to learn how to communicate. And in learning how to communicate, I think one of the best, the wisest things we could ever hear is what James 1.9 says. Be quick, be eager to listen, to want to get input. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. And as you do that, and as you communicate like that, you'll be amazed at what happens. You truly will be. And if you take the practical step of really saying, here is the time and the place when we're going to do that. I want to hear your stories about how things are changing. But before we end, I want to say this. I want to address something that very well can be the poison to your communication. The absolute poison to it. Matthew 15, 18 through 19 says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jesus said that. And he was speaking that in the midst of the Pharisees who think that it was what we put into your mouth that caused them to be defiled. No, it's what comes out. And what comes out comes from right here. So if you find yourself having a difficult time communicating with your spouse... Because you always seem to be getting angry or sensitive, oversensitive, protective and defensive, 
or simply harsh and demeaning in the way you communicate? Do you know what's happening? Your mouth is exposing your heart. It's giving you away. And you know what? For us to cover it up, normally what we say, oh, I didn't really mean that. That's not really what I was getting at. I think you totally misunderstood me. Well, why were the veins popping out of your forehead? And why was foam at the corners of your mouth? And why were the fangs kind of extra long and you were throwing stuff at me out of your mouth? Well, um, it's because what you did, I wouldn't have been like that if you hadn't said what you said. That's a lie. The truth is, your own heart gave you away by the way you're speaking. And if this is you, and that's where you're at, you don't often like yourself. And because you don't like yourself, you start um, thinking, man, maybe I should take some smooth talking classes. Or maybe I should uh, be reading books on better communication. That's what I'm going to do. Or I'm going to Google it to find out what Google has to say. Or you know, seek some self-help or how-to. Wrong. Bad idea. Not going to happen. This is what you start with. If that is you, you need to start with your heart before God. And you need to call your sin what it is. As Mike pointed out last week in the, in the confession about what confession is. You're aligning with what God calls it and saying that's what it is. This is ugly. You confess to God that you've boldly sinned against him and not against, against these people. And this is what else you have to do. You need to go to the people that you've sinned against and you need to humble yourself. And you need to call it by its ugliest name because it's that ugly. And don't make a single excuse for it. So if you're harsh and unkind in the way you communicate, then you need to say something like this. Would you please forgive me? Because when I talked to you earlier today, I was harsh, cruel, and unloving. And there's absolutely no excuse for it. None. And do you know what happened? If we will confess our sin and humble ourselves like that before others, God will lift us up. But if we will not humble ourselves and confess our sins, God will not lift us up and he will not cleanse us from the unrighteousness and you know we'll feel feel the conviction, we'll feel the guilt and we'll want to continually try to cover it up. Make excuses for it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't cover it up. Expose yourself. Humble yourself. Well, that feels really awkward. You bet it does. Because it humbles you. I don't like that. I don't either. But humble yourself before the Lord and others and he will lift you up and he will restore you. I think so many of us have sins of the tongue that we commit and we like to make excuses for ourselves. We like to cover them up. And we like to give them new names. And we just like to say, well, I'm just really concerned. Well, I just really, you know, I just, I don't think it's right that people falsely accuse me. Whatever you say is an excuse. And then understand this, own it and eat it and say, no, you know what? I am a bigger loser than I realize. 
My mouth is exposing my heart. And the pro- there's a fundamental problem here, and it's my heart. Oh, God. Oh, God. I confess to you that I am angry, that I am bitter, that I am self-justifying, that, that my tongue is like, a, is like a snake's tongue. And call it what it is and say, God, apart from you, I can't do this. I desperately need you. And, and, and don't just stay in the prayer closet because this is often what we do. We just confess to God. He's like, okay, that's great. Now go confess to the person that you actually sin against. No, 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 no. Confess to God. Uh, that's all we're to do is confess to God. No, confess your sins to one another. That you may be healed, James says in James 5. Confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what our heart needs? Our heart needs to be humbled, broken, and cleansed, and restored, and lifted up. And if you do that, and your heart is right before God and these people, you now can apply what we're talking about here to your communication and really see some wonderful things happen. So let me ask you a question. Do you want a healthy marriage? Yes? How badly? Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to confess your sins? Are you willing to take time out of your schedule and say, we need to communicate? And are you willing to take the lead and say, I want to ask you, please, I want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, speak into my life. What, what, what do you see? What can I do better in all these areas? How can we work on this? How can, how can I change? Start there and watch what happens as issues in your life start to come up and get addressed and dealt with. And God will bless your marriage. Amen. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful that you have revealed to us in your word the power and the potency of our communication with one another. How words can build up or tear down. We're grateful and thankful that you convict us and that you by your spirit expose us and show us our sins. And we're thankful that if we come to you and confess our sins, we know that you're faithful and just. You forgive us our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're so thankful that our acceptance and our relationship with you is not based on how well we communicate, but rather by the fact that we're in Christ. So may we rest in knowing that And may we apply the wisdom to our mouths and learn to communicate. I ask for grace and peace and blessing upon all of us. Amen.